We're going through a series on 2 Timothy, and we have arrived at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to be starting about halfway through verse 19. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now a great house, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the, on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. May God, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and unstop our ears, that we would hear and that our hearts would respond to your word this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I begin my sermon today with uh, words from a song uh, from... Beauty and the Beast, that 1991 animated movie. Uh, I I didn't seriously consider singing it, but I thought of maybe having one of you sing it. You probably know the the lyrics, some of you in the Bay County Christian Youth Choir, but I'll just suffice with reading it. Uh, Be our guest, be our guest, put our service to the test, tie your napkin round your neck, Cherie. And we, pro- and we provide the rest, soup du jour, hot hors d'oeuvres, why we only live to serve. Try the gray stuff, it's delicious. Don't believe me? Ask the dishes. No one's gloomy or complaining while the flatware's entertaining. We tell jokes, I do tricks with my fellow candlesticks. Life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without a soul to wait upon. All those good old days when we were useful, suddenly those good old days are gone. Ten years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting, needing exercise, a chance to use our skills. Most days we just lay around the castle, flabby, fat, and lazy. You walked in and oops-a-daisy, it's a guest, it's a guest. Shakes, Shakes alive, well, I'll be blessed. Wine's been poured and thank the Lord. And so what we find in that little cartoon uh, song with the characters, if you've seen the movie Dancing Around and Singing, is the utensils are pining away to be used uh, for the service of the master. And what we find in our text today is a similar analogy of uh, vessels in a great house, in a mansion, if you will, Uh, that need to be cleaned, they need to be prepared, they need to be ready and made ready uh, for use of the master. How about you? Are you pining away? Do you desire to be used for the master in his service to get this great message out? We have a mission, and our mission is to go into all the world 
and see that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is proclaimed, is heard, and we trust and hope that as we do that God will bless. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels for, of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And what is that good work? Well, we see at the end of this section, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. As you are transformed, as you cleanse yourselves, as the passage says, you are made ready to be used by God in the transformation of others through the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a church, we want to be useful. We want to be part of God's plan. It's a great commission. We want to be available and able to be that vessel to take it to our community and to the world. And that's part of God's plan for you, to reach your neighbors, your family, your co-workers, your classmates. As some of you in here teach Sunday school, as you serve in our nursery, or you encourage somebody in the pew next to you with a, a word of encouragement in Jesus Christ, as we rebuild our buildings in faith, that God will use us in a profound way, in a helpful way in Panama City and beyond. A Bay County Christian Youth Choir, how did God use you this week? As you sang praise to God, as I was struck, as I saw the, uh, the lyrics today, both in our hymns and, and what you sang in your anthem, and how much that is aligned with the word that I've been proclaiming in Second Timothy over the past many weeks. So how was it that God used you and the words that you expressed? And how is it that we can be transformed? How is it that we can be useful to the Lord? As Lumiere sang, sang, 10 years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting. So what is it that removes the dust and the rust? Well, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2.19, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. We found in previous uh, chapters and previous uh, sermons that there is a good news, and that good news is a, is a, a word of encouragement, uh, that good news in Jesus Christ, and it has practical benefit to us. It certainly has eternal benefit to us as we think about eternity with Jesus and the fact that the bad news to start with uh, before the good news is that we are sinners, and that's a problem. We've disobeyed God, and we deserve God's justice, we deserve God's wrath, and yet God is a loving God, and God has sent Jesus Christ to live that perfect life for us. Um, Jesus Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to, to bridge that separation that existed between us by the forgiveness of sins. Uh, he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. And in particular, in 2 Timothy, what we find the emphasis on in the gospel is that aspect that Christ died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And we have the hope of eternal life. We have that hope uh, that he will return, that he will make everything right, including us, 
uh, that we will be completely transformed, and we look forward to that time. And as we do and are filled with hope and encouragement, we live with him. We're motivated by the good news uh, to live for him and to put sin to death and to put away iniquity, as, it's, as it says here. But there were others who were spreading the bad news, as I called them last week. They were the bad news bearers. Uh, they, were, uh, they were downers. They were telling people that some of these central truths of the good news were not true, that Jesus Christ had already returned, the resurrection had already had happened, and they had just missed out on it. And it was wrecking the faith of entire families. So the bad news has an impact on our life, and the good news has an impact on our life. And we are ones who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. If you have, if you've come to that point in your life where you've placed your faith in him, then the good news will propel you to do what we're talking about today. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so the first thing that we need to do if we want to be useful is we need to come to that place. Have you come to that place of repentance and faith where you understand you're a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and his wrath? You understand that's a problem and you want to turn from that and turn to the forgiveness of God that is given to you as a gift by putting your faith in Jesus and transferring your trust from yourself to Jesus to do that. That's step number one. Step number two uh, is keep in mind that transfer, transformation is a process that happens over your entire life. To mix the metaphors, it's a, it's a dirty, it's, it's dirty process, okay? It's not clean. It's not a clean process. There's, there's fits and stops and progress and regress, but as we make it our aim to clean the vessel that is ourselves, then we are going to be useful to the Lord Jesus Christ and his endeavors. And so understand that it's not about sinless perfection in this life. We look forward to that day when we are absolutely perfect, when Jesus Christ returns and transforms us at the resurrection. But uh, until then, we proceed with the process of what is sometimes called sanctification. Don't give up. Keep going. And then third, as we see in our text today, there are two things that we're to do practically uh, to clean uh, who we are in order to be a vessel useful to the Lord. And the first is to flee, and the second is to pursue. Chapter 2, verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The first is flee. Um, if, you, if you struggle with a passion, with a desire, and that word passion here in the Greek language in which the Bible was written is really a very broad word. It means any sort of evil desire that can come over you. And I knew a, a, a friend of mine in ministry before uh, struggled with the temptation to abuse alcohol, and he struggled with that almost every day. And I remember him telling me about there were times when he would go to a restaurant and he would sit as close as he could to the bar so he could smell the alcohol. 
and how that wasn't a particularly helpful thing, right? He was technically uh, living within the bounds of not violating what he knew to be true. He knew he couldn't drink anything or else he would be in big trouble. He would abuse alcohol, and yet he wasn't fleeing. So the, uh, that's the opposite of fleeing, right? So you flee uh, whatever it is that may have a grip on you or be a temptation, a passion in your life. If you have trouble coveting, uh, maybe uh, you shouldn't be on Amazon uh, browsing or maybe you shouldn't go shopping that particular day. I don't know. Whatever it is, whatever that passion is, flee. And it says here, flee youthful passions, youthful evil desires. Now, um, I think what most people think of uh, when they think of passions in general and perhaps uh, youthful passions is, is sinful desires uh, that might be particularly aligned with youth. Um, and I'm going to make the argument in a little bit that that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. However, I think while we're on the subject, it is something that we do deal with uh, in our society. Our society is obsessed with sex and sexual immorality. It's as uh, convenient and close as our computer. Uh, it can be participated with a phone. And so, yes, uh, let me be clear, unless you think I'm dodging the subject, anything, uh, the Bible says that, that sex within the confines, uh, within, the, within the, uh, a husband-wife relationship, committed relationship, uh, lifelong relationship is good, and constructive, and outside of that, any uh, relationship outside of that sexually is destructive and is sinful. Now, having said that, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about youthful desires. Why does he do that? Um, he's not beating up on the youth. Uh, he's simply talking to Timothy. Timothy is a youth, uh, relatively speaking. And I, and I want to make that point that, yes, there are desires that are um, often particular to a particular age. Thomas Chalmers, uh, a pastor back in the 1800s, made a point that you might start out as a uh, young man in life being more uh, tempted by pleasure and have that as your besetting sin, but then as you grow older, uh, you might uh, move on from that, but then take up um, political power and pride as something that really drives you. And there are sins that particularly are um, temptations for particular age groups. But I want to uh, go ahead and quote uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, great, the great Baptist preacher, who said this in a sermon, Do not imagine, my friends, that because you are getting old, you are growing in grace. People are continually warning young men of their danger. No doubt we are in danger. But let me remind you that, the, that there is not an instance in sacred scripture of a young man disgracing his profession, but there are instances in scripture of men of middle age and gray hairs doing so. It is thus we who are young are in the greatest danger, and therefore God upholds us to show the power of his grace. But some of you older folk conceive that you are not in peril, and therefore God allows you to fall that he may stain the pride of your self-glorying and let you see that it is not anything in flesh, neither age, nor standing, nor rank, nor condition, which ensures our safety, but that he holds up the humble and casts down the proud. 
David did not fall into his great sin until he had certainly come to maturity and into the very prime of life. Then he sinned with Bathsheba. Lot did not transgress so grossly before he became an old man. If you turn to the pages of Scripture, you will notice that whenever there has been a lamentable fall, as in the case of Peter, it has been a man who has grown up and become strong in years. Okay? So I've, uh, it, uh, the, the Bible is an equal opportunity offender. But here in this particular instance, he's speaking to youthful passions because Timothy is, relatively speaking, a youth. So what is the passion uh, that he's speaking of? Um, well, I'll get, I'll get to that in a minute. But I want us to think, as we, as we contemplate that which we wrestle with on an individual basis, again, this idea of fleeing, but then not just fleeing, that we pursue. So we pursue instead of simply fleeing from something. Pursue goodness, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And herein we find one of the helpful um, scriptural passages on how fellowship and community can help us as we seek to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You know, if you want to diet, you're probably uh, going to achieve more success if you diet in a group of people that can encourage one another. Uh, it's probably better to exercise with a buddy. Uh, my daughter is in a master's program in education. She's in a cohort. Uh, they're encouraging, encouraging each other to make it through uh, to the end. So who are your cohorts that are encouraging you, that are helping you to flee from the evil, but to pursue these good things? Pray for them. Ask God to bring people in your life. Uh, pray that he would do that, that you might be able to better pursue those things that are helpful to you in your life and helpful to the purposes of God. And it's not just fleeing the opposite of whatever that passion is. You know, my mother was particularly wise in this way. Uh, as, a, as a child, as a boy, as a youth, um, her goal was to keep me busy, uh, to keep me about as busy as I could be with sports. Go for it, Ron. You want to do sports? Uh, youth group, of course, was busy, keeping busy because idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? And so, um, so part of it is just practical. You, you flee uh, what is evil and you pursue what is good. So what was it that Paul was particularly concerned with Timothy, that he needed to cleanse himself of? And in context, it appears that this uh, passion that he's referring to, this youthful passion, is a... Um, desire to be argumentative, uh, have a combative spirit, and that these things can be associated with youth. Because he goes on to say in verses 23 and 24, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone and able to teach patiently, enduring evil. We find here in the text that these Foolish and ignorant controversies, they breed quarrels. Instead, Timothy is to pursue kindness to everyone. He's able to teach. He's patiently to endure evil. 
We live in a particularly quarrelsome and ignorant age, just as we live in an age of sexual promiscuity. Uh, we certainly live in an age that is just as much promoting of ignorant argumentation, uh, promoted by uh, the 24-hour news cycle, promoted by social media, um, and uh, we can oftentimes find ourselves tempted to engage in quarrelsome argumentativeness uh, that is not particularly helpful. Now, I'm not speaking of um, shying away from legitimate, um, legitimate items of discussion, particularly when they involve the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I said last Sunday, when I was uh, touring our campus with a a pastor and some people from another, um, I I was reminded of this this week, I was touring the campus with some uh, leaders of a church, and I mentioned our rebuild team, we were working on bathrooms and trying to figure out where to put the bathrooms. And I said, uh, I'm not really that concerned if you go with uh, the plan I think is the best plan or not, as long as you don't mess around with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you mess around with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a problem. Because you're bringing about discouragement, you're leading people away from life, you're leading people into um, the clutches of Satan, we'll find out, actually. So, yes, we are to engage That is exactly what Paul is counseling Timothy. He's counseling him to engage, uh, but he's counseling Timothy to engage in a way that will be most useful and most helpful. The choir tour that I went on when I was young, uh, was in a choir like the Bay County Christian Youth Choir, we were called the Choral Ambassadors. And we're all ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And as ambassadors, we need to think in terms of how we... um, how we interact with people who um, are proclaiming things that are untrue, even people that might call themselves Christians within the church. Uh, We are to be kind in our disagreement. We are to be patient, enduring bad treatment by others rather than striking back. Uh, Timothy, in particular, is a teacher. He's there called able to teach, and that may not be Uh, true of you. You may not be a teacher and have the gift of teaching, but all of us, as we're called to interact with people and spread the good news of Jesus Christ, are to keep these things in mind. Somebody says to you, only an idiot would believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You might have rocks in your head. How do you respond? The Bible is just a book written by men. It's not a book of morality. It's a book of immorality. How do you respond? Well, not by avoiding conversation, but by responding to it in kindness, even enduring mistreatment. Well, what they said about me was untrue and hurtful. Yes, it was. How are you going to respond? Evil passion, venomous, mean-spirited responses are easiest to do, I've found, in two circumstances. One is when you're furthest removed from the party that has offended you, and that could be somebody far out in cyberspace that posts something on Facebook or some other venue, and you sit down at your computer and you type that out. Oh, yeah, I'm an idiot, am I? Okay. Send. Right? Oftentimes, we're led by the bait 
uh, to go after them. The other extreme is this, people that we know particularly well. We would say things to a family member that we would never say to a coworker that we've known for a year. Um, we, we tend to be um, easily enticed in saying things uh, that are venomous and mean-spirited to the people we know least and the people we know the best. The Apostle Peter said, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. And so the purpose of your cleansing is what? It's personal transformation. It's fleeing the passion of an argumentative, combative, unkind spirit to win people over to the good news. Remember, Timothy is dealing with people who said the resurrection has already come. People who are overturning uh, the faith of families in the church at Ephesus. And yet Paul says, correcting his opponents with gentleness and that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. You see, that's the goal. That as we're transformed, that God might in fact use us in the process to lead somebody to repentance, to somebody, for somebody to come to a realization and an understanding of, of what they've been saying and what they've been teaching and what they've been believing is not true, that it's in fact bad news, but they could receive the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. That's one of the reasons why we are to be transformed, to cleanse ourselves of these, this evil passion so that we might be more useful in leading people to repentance, into a knowledge of the truth. There's something very encouraging here. We find that it says in the text here that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of truth. And so on the one hand, what we do, there's no guarantee. Uh, perhaps God will lead them to repentance. But we see embedded in this text the teaching that it is God who leads people to repentance. That it is God who is in charge. It is God who is in control. It's not about how well I say it, but God will use you and will use me as we desire to be useful vessels It's part of his plan for transformation in this world. 2 Timothy 2.25, correcting his opponents with gentleness that God may perhaps grant them repentance, turning them from the error of their sin. And the second thing we see in our text is that this will be a battle, that it's not easy, that it's a struggle, that there's a behind-the-scenes uh, struggle going on, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured to do his will. And so as you interact with people who are speaking the bad news, we should have a sense of pity and compassion on them that they in fact are enslaved by the devil and that we in fact may have the opportunity to be used by God to free them from that slavery. Now, in and of ourselves, we have no ability to do that. A little old you, little old me, um, and so part of it is we come together as a church to do that. I think of what we have uh, celebrated, what we've commemorated uh, this week, and that is the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And uh, at D-Day, you didn't have one soldier taking on the beach at Normandy. 
Uh, you had the largest joint military operation in history. Uh, planning took more than a year uh, to bring about. Uh, you had um, 7,000 ships involved, 132,000 men landing on the beach, 24,000 allied troops were dropped by paratroopers behind enemy lines. Uh, the cost was great. Uh, 4,414 allies were confirmed dead. 9,000 were wounded or missing. And the near result of that endeavor is that Paris would be liberated in August, and then, of course, the war would be won by the defeat of Nazi Germany. And we as a church are engaged in a struggle to free others from the tyranny of Satan. And to, we've been freed by the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been delivered. And so we have that same commission to do what we can do to free others through the good news of Jesus Christ, that they might be delivered. And as an individual, you can't do it alone. We're better equipped as a church to do it. But even as a church, in and of ourselves, we have no ability to defeat our enemy. But we have an almighty master who has made us useful to the task of freedom. And so let us be faithful moving forward and dedicating ourselves and our church to the work of freeing people from the tyranny of Satan by the gospel of Jesus Christ. To do that, we must be transformed. We must cleanse ourselves of evil passions and pursue righteousness that we might be the people used of God in this grand endeavor and we will succeed because God has willed it. Queen Elizabeth, in her D-Day commemorations, quoted her father, King George VI, and what he said at the time of D-Day. And what he said was, what is demanded from us all is something more than courage and endurance. We need a revival of spirit, a new, unconquerable resolve. And so let us endeavor to be equipped by the cleansing of ourselves of evil passions, of an argumentative and mean-spirited response to those who oppose the good news and other passions as well, other evil desires. And may we instead pursue kindness, righteousness, faith, hope, and love. And may we engage with truth, the truth of the good news to those who oppose us, not shrinking from our calling, but being vessels dedicated to being cleansed, ready and prepared to be used by God to free people forever. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the salvation that we've experienced in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the great good news, the way that it is an encouragement to us as we look forward uh, to the final restoration of all things, the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, we live in that hope and that reality of resurrection, and we know that it's only because of Christ's coming and dying, uh, the Lamb who is worthy, uh, the Son of David, uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet the Lamb who is, has uh, died for us, that our sins might be paid for and forgiven. We come to you in faith and hope. And we ask, Father, that as we do, that you would, um, that you would spur us on uh, to, to more and more uh, transform into those clean vessels that can be used by you, that others might experience the freedom 
that we have experienced in Jesus Christ. May it be so for us as individuals and as a church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.